everybody. Welcome to Three Point Perspective, the podcast about illustration, how to do it, how to make a living at it, and how to make an impact in the world with your art. I'm Jake Parker. I'm Lee White. And I'm Will Terry, and all three of us are professional illustrators. We've all worked for all the major publishers in the business together. We've published somewhere around 75 children's books, and we've all taught illustration at university art schools. That's correct. Each week we come at you guys with different listener questions or fantastic interviews with professional illustrators. Sometimes we agree, sometimes we argue, but each time you learn something brand spanking new. <laughs> one and done. <laughs> right. Easy Should we draw attention to the fact that we nailed that one? That was pretty, I, that's pretty smooth. Yeah, only took 150 tries. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I started getting nervous right at the end of that because I was like, this is going pretty well. I'm going to like mess up my words. <laughs> So you were telling us the you finished a book dummy. I have well a couple things. I have a, a new agent, which I think I announced a couple weeks ago, um, but it's working out really well. I'm working hand in hand with the agent in a different way than I have in the past. Um, normally, I just submit stuff to the agent, and they're like, oh, "That's pretty good. I like it." And um, <laughs> I like that. Like, all my agents are now Shaq. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like a dummy. I don't think it, it accomplishes what it's supposed to accomplish. Um, <laughs> you showed up. You showed up and played hard for this one. You played. You played the game that you were going to play. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, he's got a different. He's got a different formula uh, for working with an illustrator, and so and I'm kind of helping him with that because we're. He, he's just got a, this whole new corral of like 10 illustrators. So we tried to streamline the process of how do you make a really good book dummy? And so we came up with this like sort of procedure, like step by step mm -hmm. by step. What happens first? Submit that. Let's talk about it. Go back, submit the second thing. And so you're not just like, okay, here's my polished dummy and it's just a big piece of crap. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So anyway, I'm working on that with him uh, to, to be able to pitch to other illustrators in, this, in his group. But so I'm the guinea pig. I'm the first one. And so anyway, I've, so I've got a full dummy. I did it in three days. Complete, Dang. full dummy, full wow. text, full images. I shall be done with it by the end of today. So I still have a little bit to do. Um, and it's not perfect by any any stretch. It's not ready for submission. Let's put it that way. But it is a, the hardest thing is coming up with something from nothing. Right. Now... I know exactly like, oh, that page isn't dynamic enough. I already know it. You know what I mean? I got to mm -hmm. go change it or whatever. But mm -hmm. just getting this first working one is is the hard part. But the crazy thing is it only took three days. It really is just sit down just and do, do the work in a streamlined way and don't get caught up in the details. That's what's so important about mm -hmm. this sort of procedure is like, what am I trying to accomplish right now? Not finish drawings and not mm -hmm. finish layouts and not even finish text. It's like just to get like almost like a working st storyboard. Although I think some of these images will stay pretty similar because it's pages yeah. that just work already. I already know it. So anyway, yeah. So, so I'm pretty stoked because like, you know, a couple of days ago I had nothing. Now I've got a book, you know, well, th they, that's what they say is you, you can't fix uh, a blank page, essentially. You have to put something down and, uh, right. and that's what you've done. It's, you just, you gotta, you gotta get that, 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 uh, go from zero to one. That's what they say. That's the, uh, yeah. it's the hard part. And now you're, you're off to the races. You can get feedback. Right. You can show it to people. You can think about it, tweak yeah, it. That's cool, gonna, man. Just going to play my game. Just go my yeah. game plan now. Showed up. Execute, execute my shots. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just hoping to, you know, we can take this thing to the to the finish line. <laughs> Every NBA interview right there. Yeah. 
<laughs> I wonder why there's even interviews. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've always asked that question. They're, they're so pointless. We played right. as hard as we could. Uh, I they can't had a stand to game. watch sports sports <laughs> news. What do you think you should have done better? It's too easy to make jokes. I can't even do it. I can't right. even joke about it because it's so stupid. Right. It really is stupid. <laughs> I'm just, we're, we're offending all of our sports fans who who the the one percent who overlap uh, <laughs> lo- sports fans and love illustration for uh, <laughs> children's books or whatever. I don't. Know. I don't know, it's probably executed better. Yeah. yeah, we didn't execute. Let's do yeah, our uh, let's do our first question, shall we? These okay. questions come to us from uh, our Patreon. These are our. Um, uh, we do a, a monthly patron hotline, so I think it just we just throw up a post and people on the, for, you know their convenience put punch in a question and then we turn that into a, a podcast episode. Mm-hmm. So first question comes to us from um, Jason McIntosh, mm-hmm. and he's got a little. Uh, he, little intro to his question and here's the pitch it's a high fly ball deep center field speaking of sports wow, <laughs> is this, going, is this going and it's rejected is this the jason, jason mcintosh that we know yeah yeah it's okay the one who spent some time with us yeah okay he says he's wondering about pitching stories is it better to pitch to an agent or directly to a publisher where have you found the best success in your career and given the current publishing landscape any porters any pointers you guys are the best. Really appreciate you. Yeah. So um, I think in this landscape, an agent's going to cut through all the noise for publishers mm-hmm. on the publishing side. And I, I don't, you know, there might be some publishers that just have open submissions, but I think pretty much all of them are like, just want to talk to agents that they've made relationships with or know about. And, uh, and I think your best bet is to pitch to agents first and then see where that takes you. What we, do you guys think? We've, yeah, we've kind of gone over this before. Um, the fact that in the the GFC, the the global financial crisis in 2008, 9, 10, mm-hmm. that uh, publishers went through kind of a restructure and they really rely on, on agents as almost like, you know, of course, agents are independent contractors or they're independent businesses, but they really are like a, an annex to the publishers right now. You know, they they're they work for the publishers um, mm-hmm. unofficially, right? Like instead yeah. of having as many staff members um, in publishers reading manuscripts, they re- they just rely on agents to say, "What do you have that's good?" So they really are the. I mean, they really are the first step. Are, can you go directly to a publisher? Yes. But you don't have to because they're really relying on these agents to bring them good stuff. Cool. All right. Yeah. That, was, that was pretty easy. Great question. I, I, do, I do think Will's right. Or you can you know do your own, but I, I do think that they're the gatekeeper now, for better mm-hmm. or for worse. Um, I do think that an agent will more likely take on someone with potential that a uh, publisher won't. The publisher will say, well, they got potential, but I can't use them. An agent mm-hmm. will say, they got potential. Yeah, I'll take them. 
and then they'll build them up. I've seen a couple of agents do that recently. Mm. Um, Even one that asked my advice on an illustrator and I was like, I don't think they're really ready yet to even to be agented. And they're like, I'm going to go for it. And they did. And they Mm. turned out to be great. I was wrong. Delete that. That that takes the, uh, you're a big man, Lee, to admit that. I was wrong Mm -hmm. on that one for sure. I advised against it. It just wasn't polished enough, but the agent saw enough that like, no, I can go. I mean, it took two years. That's more Mm -hmm. than I gave them agent credit for wanting to do. Mm -hmm. That that was the flaw in my logic. I thought, you know, if you want them to be done in like two months, they're not going to be ready. The the fear I would have with an agent is what if, you know, this is just my brain going, where does it, where, where are the fail points, right? Mm-hmm. So what what stops an agent from just grabbing as many author illustrators as as they can, locking them down, not caring about really promoting any of them, just sort of putting as much stuff out there as they can. There's probably a reason why they don't do that. It's probably a lot of work, but I would be as a as a creator, that's what would worry me and keep me up at night is am I just being what would be a good word to describe that? Just kind of Corralled. sad on yeah, yeah, just kind of sat Co- on collected, and now I'm mm. now I'm, yay! I'm agented, but I don't have a contract yet, right? Yeah. Well, did you? I, you guys saw that email we got from uh, SVS uh, student who was like, "I got two agent offers. One is like a well-established agent, and one's like a new agent. One has a ton of artists, but they're really well known. And the other one hell only has a few." Did you see that that email? I don't know if you guys. Yeah, saw we it, t- we talked about it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and the advice there was like, it depends on what you need as a creator. Do you want someone who you can work with, and and there's a back and forth, and and they're very invested in what you do, but you know, it's a long shot that they can get you in the doors, or not a long shot, but it's a it's going to be harder for them to get get you in the bigger doors, you know, of the publishers or a publisher who's very, or, uh, or, um, an agent who's very well connected, you know, can, can, at a, you know, a click of an email, you know, get you a, a sweet gig, but they're dealing with a hundred other people. And so, you know, what, what do you do there? And, uh, and so you just have to make, you know, it, it depends on what your your choice your choice is. If you're like, yeah, bring it on, I'll I'll out compete those hundred other people. I'm gonna make my stuff irresistible, and you're super competitive, and you, and and you, you're good at getting attention. Then you might want to go that route. But if you're like, no, this is, I really want a a, a relationship with this person. I want to work together. You know, I want it to be a partnership. Then maybe you go that other route. So. Anyway, um, we'll move can on I to point, that. The next can question. I point out? Can I point out another little flaw with the agents that I've always thought about? And I, I've heard this about real estate agents too. Just to give a little more context, what would stop? And it, it's, this is the playing devil's advocate to going at your on your own without an agent. Is that if an agent has twenty artists, and each of those artists is offered a book deal, but for the minimum mm-hmm. amount of money. Uh, you know, say, say they get offered a book for $12,000 instead of 20, which is what the yeah. artist, artist wants. It's the, the agent doesn't make that much more from an artist getting a $20,000 book over a $12,000 book, just due to how the percentages right. work, especially mm-hmm. if, if the artist holds out for 20 and doesn't get it. And then there's no book deal. And so real estate agents, the same way, do they really fight for the highest Mm-mm. rate 
Or do they want to just sign the thing over and over and over again? That equals more money mm. in the long run. So just a little, it's just a weird little thing. There's no way to answer it. Mm-hmm. Uh, every artist and every, or every agent and every real estate agent will say, oh no, we fight for, to get you the top dollar. But I always question like, $5,000 makes a difference to me. $5,000 in a contract makes almost no difference to the agent. Right. So right. why See, would my, they fight for it? I have a, a friend who's a businessman and he thinks that those, he thinks real estate agents and, and I would argue, you know, like, like agents for literary agents, what we should do is have like this base amount whenever a job comes in. So let's say a children's book, you know, at your level, you're going to get, you know, somewhere in the 20 to $30,000 range for a contract. So they don't get paid on like 15,000, the first mm-hmm. 15,000, they get a higher percentage on from 15 on up. Oh, I, I see. Like, you I know, love that. Yeah. So, so they get fifty percent of whatever they get over twenty or something like that. So it's you're like, I, look, incentives. I can get twenty on my own, right? So mm-hmm. you're incentivized to really fight for most because you, you that's where you're getting paid. Yeah. Like, the other thing too is I think uh, most agents I would I would hope have this uh, long like perspective on on their career, right? Like it pays to really treat your people well. And, and it's better to have an artist that can get you, you know, that could, you could sign them up for 20 books over Mm -hmm. the next 10 years than, and, and, and incrementally, incrementally like increase that artist's amount that they're getting each time. Then I would say always bringing in new talent and, and, you know, just moving around and trying to make as, as many deals fast and loose as you can. Mm-hmm. I think it, you know, uh, you, you want to have the perspective where you're, you're, you want to win the, the championship, not the, the game. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if, if you're, you know, you win this particular basketball match. What matters if you, if you take it all the way to the, to the championship, just to keep our sports theme going. For this episode. <laughs> I'm getting ready to go into a shack <laughs> right. again. Play my game. <laughs> All right. Should we do okay. the next one? Or do you guys have one more thing to say about agents? <laughs> I'm fighting it, but I'm I'll let it, it go. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Let's see. We're going to do Mimi here. She said, I'd like to know if there's still a market for longer color illustrated books. I grew up with a lot of longer picture books and books for young readers with big color illustrations. For example, Holling's, uh, Holling's Paddle to the Sea many of Don Daly's books and Margaret de Angeli's picture books that are all about 48 to 88 pages. I think it'd be really fun to illustrate longer, more complex stories like these, but I haven't seen a lot of new books like this. And I'm wondering if these kinds of books still exist or if that part of the market is completely gone. Thanks. I would imagine um, that's... Oh, yeah. Go ahead. No, you, you, you go ahead. I, I would just imagine that it's if you're not seeing it in in the bookstore, it means that it's not profitable. I mean, the 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 bookstore is basically a reflection of what publishers think they can make money on, right? Mm-hmm. And if it's not there, and it was there, yeah, you're you know, I think your your question kind of is the answer. Right. I think that I think what happened to those books is they split. 
to, they went two ways. It went to the shorter picture books with the traditional 32 page picture book. And then it went to graphic novels. If it was truly mm-hmm. longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, and I think that just, it's the problem with, with competition for attention. Like, mm-hmm. um, if you think about just the, the mechanics, uh, the reality of a kid's picture book, they're usually read with, with an adult, if they if they're either read by themselves or they're read with an adult, and adults don't have time to do an eighty-eight page picture book. Mm, that's a good point. And the kid's oh God, gonna can want. You imagine to, that. The kid's gonna want when you sit down to read a book. They're gonna want to read it to the end. Mm-hmm. So I think the person buying the book is probably like, just give me the thirty-two pager. The fewer the words, the better. <laughs> Let's get this kid to sleep. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and then I think if a kid. Uh, does have the attention span and the ability to read, like Lee was saying, like they're more, they're going to go into the, the dog man mm-hmm. level books, you know, uh, where, where it's, it's, it's just above the children's books where it's, you know, it's funny. They're reading, they're reading a panel to panel, but it's not like too complex at that point. So that said though, I, I mean, there's a thriving self-publishing world out there where a book like that, if you feel like there is a need and and people would want something like that, like an 88-page children's book, I would say try and find an audience for it and, and self-publish it, kind of like what Will's doing with his his Pickleball Paul thing. Like, mm-hmm. there's My question, though, is, a, there, is there a market for that? I just can't imagine there is. I'll tell you this. For, for people that are writing their own books – Again, working with my agent right now, they're saying don't do not go over five hundred words. It used to be twelve hundred was mm-hmm. the limit. Now they're saying five hundred. Do not Attention go over five hundred. So, and I'll t- yeah. And, I, and for me, it's three hundred. It's like <laughs> yeah. Oh, if if there was a cho- if I was reading my son a picture book that had like a paragraph on a page, this is before he was reading. Obviously, I just mm-hmm. make up what's happening at that point and what I'm reading. I'm not even reading anything that the artist that the author wrote because it's too long. So I'd reduce that whole paragraph to one sentence and turn the page. Mm. I will say though, what's what's super cool and what I've gotten into recently is these um, books by Simon Stahlberg, Stahlig, I think is he's a Scandinavian illustrator that does these uh, essentially adult picture books, and they're maybe a hundred, hundred fifty pages, and wow. they each page is a beautiful illustration. He did. They 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 did an Amazon series based off one of the things called Tales of the Tales from the Loop. It's a sci-fi thing. We we tried to watch that one. Was it hard hard to watch for me? Lily liked it. <laughs> uh, it. It wasn't for me. Okay, so anyways, like his whole thing is he, he wants to instill a mood, and every one of his illustrations has kind of like an eeriness to him. Like it'll be kids in the foreground playing in a field and then you'll see in the background through the mist an abandoned like spaceship that's just crashed from the sky and it's you know it's just implying like oh yeah this is 50 years after the invasion happened and kids are still going you know life is still happening and and all of his stories are kind of like deal with some of these apocalyptic type of events that are that are happening and and so it'll be Big illustration, full page, maybe a double page spread illustration, turn the page, a paragraph of story. Turn the page, another illustration, you know, a, a couple of sentences. 
turn the page, then there might be, you know, three paragraphs and another big illustration. And the whole time, you know, the pictures are telling a story, the words obviously telling part of the story, and you're getting um, a full, like, picture of what's going on here with it. And that, that I, I'm seeing more and more of those kinds of books coming out and, uh, and other artists who, you know, maybe don't have the, the, the writing chops to do a novel, but they've got the illustration chops and the storytelling chops to do something very organic like that, like a, mm-hmm. a picture book for adults. And I, and I think, I think you could try that out. I mean, do it, come up with a, a story for an 88 page thing, maybe gear it towards something that an adult would like, but it's all ages. And, um, and kickstart that thing. See, see if there's a, a market for it. That's a lot of investment. I well, I mean, you do it like anything. Yeah, you do on one illustration and see what the feedback is, or you do three uh, illustrations that really invite. Like these might be anchor illustrations in the book. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe it's a it's it's a beginning, middle, and end. And if the response to that is like overwhelmingly positive, do another mm-hmm. three and fill out, flesh out that story. And then, you know, I can't imagine if you did, you know, maybe an illustration page for an 88 page book, if you did 88 of these illustrations, still really dripping them out over the course of a year or two years, building that audience for it, that when you said, hey, I'm putting these all in a book. And it's the Kickstarter's going live in 30 days. Sign up now to get notified. I can't imagine that thing not funding, you know, especially if you've gotten a year or two years worth of positive feedback and reinforcement from it. I got to push back. I got to do it, Jake. Nice. Okay. I disagree. So you could, you're basically talking about three 32 page picture books when you get to 88. You could do, you could, the, the, the cool thing about doing a series is each one helps to sell the previous ones. So mm-hmm. marketing-wise and announcement-wise, you have so much more um, opportunity to sell three books than you do one. I agree. That is better. That's a better business model. And you're spending but, the same amount of time. I, c- I couldn't do it myself. Mm-hmm. But Mimi likes those books. And, and I can't say that that's wrong like you're saying, to not go for the thing that you really love. What we really should be doing as artists is is making the things that we wish we could buy out there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's really what we do when we, like, uh, when I make a YouTube video, I'm making a YouTube video that I wish I could have watched when I before I learned the information that I'm putting in that YouTube video, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, you know... Even this morning when I was thinking about doing this podcast today, I was thinking I lived from, ep- from um, um, what's it called, uh, subs- um, <laughs> volume to volume on mm-hmm. communication arts magazines for the business section. Like the first thing I went in to read in CA magazine was the business section in the back. Mm-hmm. I couldn't wait for the next one because I was I was uh, hungering for that information. And I'm thinking, this is what we do weekly in our podcast is we put out that kind of information, you know. And how much I would have loved to have been able to listen to to our podcast when I was, you know, in the early 90s, starting out my illustration career. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that, Lee? 
Yeah, that covers it. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, here's another question from uh, SJ. Hi, just curious if you guys have implemented any 3D software into your workflows. I've been gravitating to 3D images and I've begun the long journey of learning Blender. Have any any of you wandered down that road? Um, uh, so, yeah, so <laughs> I uh, I have done it. I've, I've gone down that road with Blender and it... You know, it's a long road. It's the road's as long as you want it to be, honestly, with Blender, because there's so much you can do with that program. There's so much you could do. And you see some of these things people create and you're like, oh my gosh, how'd they do that? And they're like, Yeah, I just did it in Blender. You know, it took me a year, but but it's able to accomplish <laughs> it. And it's, you know, this these, you know, it's a short f- film that looks like on par with Pixar or something like that. Um, but as an illustrator, you can get away with learning 3% of Blender and still have it improve your workflow. And and to learn, what I've d- used it for is to block out complex um, shapes that I know I'm going to need to illustrate multiple times from d- different angles. So I, I designed a spaceship uh, that I knew was going to be in a comic, you know, five times and it, and it was complex. I didn't want to reinvent it every time mm. I had to draw it from different angles. So I designed a spaceship, took me a couple hours and then I screenshotted it and all the different angles that I needed for the comic and then just drew over the top of it. And <clears throat> at the end of the day, I don't know if it saved me any time, but it definitely made better drawings than, mm. than yeah, I would have. That's what matters. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. Now yeah. as, someone who has not done any 3d modeling or any mid journey. Mm-hmm. And as I'm hearing you, I'm thinking, Blender, right. Or- right. But wouldn't it be quicker to use mid journey now mm-hmm. to do some of the, I mean, mid journey will work for a one shot. Like if you're like, I just need a design for something mm-hmm. and it needs to look complex. But you're talking about you're talking about sequential art where you're seeing different angles. Is there mm-hmm. a way to take something that's really 3D out of mid-journey and have it scanned somehow into a 3D program that you can then rotate around? Not that I know of, but it seems like that's something that is absolutely possible. Like and there coming might be soon. A, like yeah, it seems like a no-brainer, right? Thing. Like 3D yeah. scan my 2D image and mm-hmm. and turn it into mm-hmm. a 3D. I mean, like, why not? It's it. It seems like so much information's there. I here's the thing, though. Uh, I, I would advise learning Blender over Midjourney, um, just because you're you're going to be able to make something. I uh, you know you're going to be able to make something more for your needs with mm-hmm. blender i think than than what midjourney midjourney you're really at the mercy of of the ai behaving the way it's going to behave and, mm. and and i use the term ai loosely it's it's just machine thinking right like you're at the mercy of did i put in the right prompts and that didn't work and now i've trained it to do it this certain way and then for me to untrain it and to take it the other way it's, <laughs> it's like working with a dog or something mm. so uh, <laughs> i think with blender analogy. like you know, if, if you said, I'm going, you know, if you're really motivated and you had an hour a day to work on it in a month, you would be absolutely proficient enough to add it to your workflow to create mm. basic models that you could then draw over. 
uh, you could do that easily in a month. And the tutorials, there's so many tutorials out there that are just so well done. Hmm. And and like I, I'm a dummy, and I was I was making cool stuff at the end of you know at the end of the day, just spending an afternoon messing mm-hmm. around with it. And you know, a couple of these tutorials really are for beginner beginners. They know that because Blender's free. There's no no barrier of entry to to do it. The only barrier of entry is knowledge. Mm-hmm. They've designed these tutorials for for idiots. So it's like, okay, here's the three buttons on the mouse. Here's what these three buttons do. Great, you learn that. Okay, here's what this button over here does. Now let's practice that. Do do do. And then they just kind of work their way top to bottom. You know, very low resolution to complex. And by the mm. end of these tutorials, you know, one of them, I made a lightsaber, glowing lightsaber with like cool lighting and everything, you know? And I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, it had shiny metal on it and everything. And I did that in an afternoon. Mm. Now for the I'm low tech people, the 3D. The, 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 <laughs> yeah, the, like the low tech tactile people, you can still make a clay model of your character and... And look at it better because it's, it's, I mean, you don't have to learn the software and mess around with it. I mean, for, for what we were doing, like Jake, going back to your spaceship, wouldn't that have been quicker just to do like kind of a clay model of your spaceship? No, no. Really? Uh, uh, Not to, uh, okay. Well, one thing, so now I got a clay model of a spaceship, right? What do I do with it after that? Sell it on Kickstarter. So, you know, so then I'm I'm throwing it away or whatever, or, I'm, or it's collecting dust because I'm sentimental and I don't want to throw it away. Um, and uh, you know, it could get damaged, it could get destroyed, and and what if I need it again? Now I have to rebuild it for issue two or something like that. Um, yeah, good point. You know, that file just lives on your computer, and um, and you can. You could really, because I work digitally anyway, I'm I can get it the camera angle just right, and right. you know as opposed to like getting out my iPhone, making you change sure. the lenses and all that stuff. Yeah. I know. I mean, yeah. I, I guess it, I mean for your style, where you're a good going tech, tech, teched out, I think it's a probably better than like me and Will's, which doesn't benefit that much from being teched, tech kind of looking. Yeah, I, yeah, I, looking at your style, Lee, I don't see the need for you to to learn it unless you were you know unless you really had like a you know you did a children's book where it all took place on like some cool airship and it had to be very precise about where the shots were on that airship but even then i think it might damage your style more than help it yeah because you've got such a uh 2d crappy style right <laughs> <laughs> with you will it's the same same sort of thing like uh i don't know that 3d would help what you're doing unless like you know that opening intro to pickleball paul where we see the neighborhood mm. you could you could have easily built one house and just right like you know done it warped a little thing and then you could draw over the top of it and then you know especially if you're going to do like five or six of of those in in one thing and i've done that Mm -hmm. before where it's Mm -hmm. like i gotta draw a city from the top or like this small uh like town from a top view 
I just made a bunch of cubes and made some streets and stuff. And then I drew over the top of them and added all the little details like windows and everything to it with my drawing. But it, it kept me from having to like get out, do three point perspective, and get out <laughs> right. the long rulers and everything. <laughs> so, right. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I would say look at sh- short answer to that. Look at what your, if, if your style needs it. And if it does, learn it. And it's not that hard to learn. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of how um, complex it seems from the outside. You could you could pick it up. Okay, next one, Irene. Can a portfolio be too focused? You guys once said that illustrators are only hired to do what they've already done. It's my goal to break into traditional publishing as an illustrator, mainly for middle grade and YA fantasy books. I've been giving myself assignments I would like to be hired for, i.e., authoring and illustrating uh, graphic novels. YA novels, MG and YA novels. And as a result, I have a buttload of very YA historical fantasy looking black and white illustrations and zero present day children bookish illustrations. I'm a little worried my portfolio isn't diverse enough to get an agent or very many assignments. I'm starting to wonder if illustrators should target niches at all. Um, Yeah, here's a link to my website if you guys want to look at it. Um, It's it's an image I can't get the you're gonna have to type it in i'm sorry it was just easier for me to screenshot these and, and paste them into the email than to to copy and <laughs> copy can and you them. can you pull it up yeah i'll pull it up okay. i'll pull it up but you know to that while i pull that up what do you guys think is it uh well um you know there are illustrators that work primarily in in these tight markets like brandon dorman he mostly mm-hmm. does does uh, YA book covers, middle grade, um, d- does the illustrations in those novels, you know, like the black and white little spot yeah. illustrations and stuff. I mean, like, that is his market. And he is busy, busy. Um, he, he His plate is full with that kind of work. But mm-hmm. he's really, really good at it. The thing that, you know, it's, it's, it's that, and her work is really nice. There's some really this nice This is really stuff good on. stuff. Yeah, really good stuff. I don't... Looking at this, I can't see you not getting work. <laughs> I, I think what it is 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 with with work this good, you have to get it in front of the right people, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is the age old thing, right? And then you mm-hmm. have to knock it out of the park when given an assignment, and then you have to reverse market or not reverse market, but you have to really nurture that relationship and leverage it to get other art directors from that that, that art director that hired you knows and and once you get in there and and you are constantly solving these people's problems that's what we are as illustrators right we solve the problem that other that art directors have art directors have a lot of tasks that they do during the day one of them is assigning artwork to someone who is going to make them look good that's the problem Mm -hmm. that they have and if you make them look good and you are easy to work with and you um you know, just hit all the notes. They're going to come back to you. And that's one reason why it's just easy that Brandon Dorman is the easy button for these guys. Yeah. He gets it done fast. He gets it done. Well, he's a very polite, very affable person. Um, what else? He, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know if he's, if he charges them top dollar. I, I really don't know on that, but, 
But yeah. I, yeah, I would say get yourself an agent and see what happens. Contact Brandon Dorman and ask for his Yeah. Ask, I mean, ask, ask, show him dude, your that's stuff going and the, the wrong direction. You guys are giving terrible. Hold on, advice. hold on. Let me just finish this. She should show him she should get a hold of Brandon Dorman, show him her stuff and say, "Look, um whenever you turn down work, <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell him tell him that I'm available? Because I mean, like, I think he would. I think he would. I think he would um, say, "Hey, here's somebody that could probably really handle the job for you." What's your brilliant advice, Lee? Yeah, my advice is she answered her own question in the question. Um, it is too focused in this. I mean, this looks like work all from one book. Um, I was going to say that. It's just all one thing. And, and, and it's also leaning a little bit animation. I don't think this person should actually change her style, especially those top six black and white pieces are so good. These ones. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the ones that are yeah. on her portfolio and, and I'm, I'm just looking at her portfolio, but I see what you have pulled up on her Instagram. Are you look at, you're looking on Instagram. Did you put out the Instagram so people can, uh, can, can look at this? Bean Irene 18. That's it's super, it's super good. B-E-A-N-I-R-E-E-N-1-8. Yeah. Super good, but it's it's a little bit dated in term and it's a little bit um animation looking. I'd like to see some contemporary situations happening with like a typical, you know, twelve the, to fourteen year old kid oh, in you high mean school. Dated, like go, not the style Jake, but the, go back up the a subject second. matter. The go, subject matter is dated. So I'm, so, I'm the, sorry. Her style is great. I mean it's a hair. mixture. It's a mixture between Disney and Brett Hellquist. That's how I'll uh-huh. describe her style, um, which is great. Those two things are probably fantastic together. And like I said, some of those black and whites, I do not want her to get rid of them from the portfolio. They're so no. good. They're, I mean, they're no. total pro level, but it's only one thing. It looks like unless an art director has like, okay, I've got this fantasy novel that takes place, you know, in, in the, you know, King Arthur days. I'm not going to hire this person. I want to see a kid in high school today. I was what would they look that, like? That was going to be my other note was like, mm. okay, you, you've definitely shown that you can do the work. Now show that you can do the genres and the subject matter. Mm-hmm. So I would Because one of the big things in middle grade is, is kids in contemporary situations. And right. we don't see that here. In, in to give you guys a guide, this, the style for this is sort of Beauty and the Beast. That's how I'll describe all of it. It's but like go, go back up to that one, Look at Jake. That, though. that is so good. It's really well done. It's really Which one? Good. This one? The, no, the one with the green uh, background up there with the red hair. This one. That when you guys made the comment that, yeah, that it looks animation, that faded using the digital tools in Photoshop to blur a background is going to mm-hmm. make it look more animation. I just wanted to point that out versus mm-hmm. go to the black and white right above it and look at the background there. It's illustrated, so you know. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to make your stuff look less animation, don't use like Photoshop blur background tools and stuff like blur filters and things like that. Not saying that there's anything wrong with blur filters. It's just going to make it look a little more slick. I would just also lean a little bit away from Disney if she if she can't. I mean, it just some of it looks straight out of like Aladdin, and then some of it looks totally like appropriate for modern YA. And so I just she's she's a good enough artist. 
good enough artist where she could kind of lean this way or that. I and I think that she could school. be more individual in her approach. Nice mm-hmm. thing is she's got some graphic design chops too going mm-hmm. on there. When an art director finds her, they are going to be so happy because they're probably going to use this person forever. You know what I mean? She's right. so good. She's better mm-hmm. than me. I mean, like, like I can't draw a hand like that. <laughs> She's way <laughs> right. better yeah. than I am. Really She's got well a little, in, little NC uh, or our Lion Decker kind of in that last one. Mm-hmm. But then mm. be, they would go right back to Beauty and the Beast. There's... Yeah. Little Mermaid. And she's she's showing multiple races, too. Like, she can handle anything they throw at her, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, like, just take him out of like that. Take him out fact, of the Renaissance you know, fair. This guy clearly looks Asian. This guy, you know, Latino or something. Like, that's also not easy to do. You know, oftentimes, she's a, she's you see artists who level. just can draw one type of human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, describe... Describe a YA cover, <clears throat> the typical YA cover, if you're going in Barnes and Noble and just seeing one. What do you see subject wise? Subject wise is a, is a girl kind of walking across, like in front of the high school. She's kind of embarrassed. There's some kids in the background doing something they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, or kids and a dog running through an alley, and there's some kind of magical like lightning bolt strike in the background they're running away from or something right right, right. towards the camera like i'm not seeing that stuff and that's like i mean go into barnes and noble and look at ya covers and look at the subject matter and do that if that's the that's a good point will that that in most of these in most of these images it's um there's almost like sort of a romance kind of happening Mm -hmm. that's not part of why most ya novels so 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 what she's doing is a a a small subset of YA right now. And if you want to maybe do YA, she just, yeah, she needs better stories. I mean, that's really what it is. Cause she's a, as, as good an illustrator as I've ever seen. I mean, really, really, really mm-hmm. solid. Mm-hmm. But like I did, I did a, I did a book cover and some interior illustrations for this book a while back. Um, and the subject matter was so like, this is so her, what she's doing, drawing is so generic. Like what this book that I did was, was, um, it was about this boy who had had a troubled childhood and he is going to see his estranged father and he had a dog and it referred to this dog throughout the whole book, but the dog wasn't actually real. It was this kid's sort of coping mechanism hmm. and it led to some fantastic kind of subject matter to draw from um, that was unique. It wasn't just like, you know, people in puffy dresses like romancing each other there was a, it was specific i guess that, and hers looks generic does that make sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so i would say yeah do a search now for all the contemporary ya novels that are coming out and start making a few more pieces that that reflect that so you know a girl in contemporary clothes and maybe she's holding an axe you know, or something, you know, something the Hunger Gamesy maybe. Well, I know Hunger Games is ten years old, but I feel like that is still influencing. You know what what we're doing today. Draw, you know, two high school people who are in love. You know, and and or even more sh- complicated kind of high school that. stuff. Like, if did you guys read Wonder, the book called mm-hmm. Wonder? Yeah, so good. Like, pick that book up. Illustrate any scene from it. That'll be yeah. more contemporary. Is that the one that they made a movie out of? Mm-hmm. It is. With yeah. Julia Roberts. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fantastic book. Yeah. 
It was really good. Yeah, really good. Really good stuff. Owen Wilson, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was the dad. Julie Roberts yeah. was the mom. I'm going to steal this girl's the way she draws hair, though. That's pro. She's so good at drawing hair. Steal like a pro. Steal like okay. a pro. Okay. Amber has a question. She says, I just deleted, deleted some posts of the book I'm working on that I made on Instagram, LinkedIn, and my portfolio on the advice of Lee. So if you get to a point where you've got five or six book dummies and you've been hawking those around for some time, what are you posting in your online portfolio and social media? So what was this you you told her to take down? Um, I read it. I The first time I read it, I, was, I read it as like, Lee's giving bad advice again. And I'm like, <laughs> no. I'm not true. <laughs> Essentially, if, if, yeah, what do you post if you've, all you've been working on is, is book dummies? That's a tough share? one. That is a really tough one. I, I think I would balance, if you're working on book dummies, you got to kind of balance between the dummy and the stuff you're going to put forward facing on your social media. I'm in that problem right now. I'm doing this book dummy and I got nothing. So I'm looking back through my archive to post stuff just to keep that rolling. Well, I mean, I'd say just put on your, it, if you're sort of in this um, this phase where you're not making new stuff, just make the top nine or 12 squares on your Instagram account, uh, your portfolio. Just repost old stuff, the best stuff that you've got, just right in a row so that if an art director stumbles on you, they're looking at your best stuff and they're not seeing sketches for something and they're not seeing, you know, the what you had for lunch and, and what you're yeah, I'm not saying doing. populate it with garbage, but I'm saying you got to, and if you if you don't have all that stuff, I mean, you don't want to keep repopulating the same nine images. Just take I, well, one day I, out of the week to make something new. Yeah, yeah you could make something new, but I, I'd say if, if that's, if you're working on stuff that's NDA or, or in development or, or whatever, then your social media is just going to be a stagnant portfolio for that time being, right? And uh, and I think that's fine because I think it's more. I think it's important for you to do what's important instead of what's urgent in this. Sometimes the important things are urgent, but oftentimes the important things aren't very urgent. That's why they get overlooked or, or not not finished. And the important thing is getting your book proposals in a good spot so that you can hand them to an agent or to a publisher or something so you can get get work. And oftentimes you getting work has more to do with how awesome that proposal is than how active you've been on Instagram. Mm. So True just that. figure out what your goals are, what what your focus is, and, and lean into that. Now, if you're like going to be launching a Kickstarter in the spring and you got to make sure that a thousand people back you on the first two weeks of it, then absolutely you've got to play the social media game. You got to get capture and keep people's attention and lead them to that sale of that Kickstarter. But mm-hmm. outside of that, you know, or maybe you're doing an online shop and you, you just want to, you know, your goal is to make 5,000 a month from your online shop, then you got to continually drive sales to that online shop. And so you got to play the social media game. But if your goal is to get a book uh, deal at a publisher, they're just going to do a cursory check on your social media account to see if you have a presence, you know, sniff you out a little bit, but they're not going to be following you and being like, wait, they didn't post a story today. What, what, 
What are they doing? <laughs> they got too much, too much to do to worry about that. Mm. Am I wrong? I mean, That's I, right. I kind of feel yeah. like I like it. You, I, I sometimes I feel like a lot of times artists put the cart before the horse on social media. They think it's way more important than it actually is. Okay, Mark says, can a fully finished book you've made as a passion project still form part of a portfolio? After seeing Will publish his book through Amazon, I'm thinking of doing something similar, but as it is a massive time commitment, I was unsure. Also, I've committed to posting five to seven times a week on Instagram as per your challenge and have seen some progress. So thanks, guys. Okay, so... He's playing the uh, the social media game. He's doing the doing the posts, getting the traffic. Maybe mm-hmm. going to drive that to a personal project, like what Will's been doing. Um, Here, I can since he mentioned me, I'll yeah, just say that I I don't post like I haven't posted any images from my new book until I'm ready to launch it. I have this theory, and I'd love to know what you guys think that you only get one chance to make a first impression, and that. Um, the first impression is really important that you, while people are excited about seeing a new thing, they can also go and buy that new thing. Like, I don't like to show this, get all the excitement out of the way of like, hey, I've seen this thing. And then three weeks or a month later when it's done or two months later, I go, here's the thing and it's ready now. And they're like, people are like, well, I've already seen that. I already like that. That's right. just me, you know. So you're saying like, strike while the iron's hot, sort of thing. Like they I like don't want to show my it. new stuff until they can buy it. That's what, what do you guys I, think I, about that? I think that's probably there's some truth to that. There's an excitement around it, and people are impulse buyers. I definitely know mm-hmm. that, especially with non-essential items like art, so and books and stuff. And so I think there's some truth to that. I want to know what Jake thinks about that. Um, sorry, I was reading another question. <laughs> what, what? So do you, do you like, if you're, if you're working on a new project, Jake, a new book, yeah. will you share like, and you're going to sell it on your own? Mm-hmm. Like it's a Kickstarter. Let's say you're going to yeah. launch. Will you share artwork from that Kickstarter and before you're ready to launch the Kickstarter? Mm-hmm. You will. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't like it. You don't like that idea? I think it makes the that artwork like, and I'm just going on how I feel. Like when I see something for the first time and it's amazing and I like it and I make a comment to the person mm-hmm. and then I find out, oh, it's not for sale mm-hmm. yet. I can't go support it. I can't go do a thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my, my, mm-hmm. the, the most likes I ever get is the first time I post an image. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. After that, it seems like people are like, well, I've already liked that before. Why are you posting it again? So if yeah. I'm trying to get traction for my Kickstarter or for my launch of, of my book or something, I want, because the algorithm rewards likes, right? Likes beget more mm-hmm. likes. Comments beget yeah, more so I think, engagement. I think in that case, you have your Kickstarter um, pre-launch page where yeah. they click to be notified. Well, but that's that's, I consider that part of the launch. So that's, I'm saying... Would you share that artwork before you're ready to do anything? No. That's no. what I Look, wanted to hear. I had to force that. Did you see that? Yeah, Lee? it was a lot. I massaged that answer out of him. <laughs> Listen, I there's I mean, you could post artwork for the sake of posting artwork 
and that's that's fine. And maybe someday you use it for a book. And and mm-hmm. I think you're not like shooting yourself in the foot. You know, you might say like, hey, I'm putting together, you know, an art book, and it's going to collect the last 500 drawings I've done. Like that's one thing. But uh, and and I don't think you're shooting yourself in the foot or anything having posted that because you needed to post stuff anyway. You needed content to to share, but. I think when you are ready to like launch a project, you, you got to be tactical about mm-hmm. it. And so drip those images out, you know, make a big reveal on the day of the the launch or something like that. Um, but you got to, there, there's this balance between building up a audience and an anticipation for it. And then also the big reveal. And I think you, you, you know, with the way social media works now, there's maybe three or four artists where I actually go to their account specifically to see if they posted and what they posted lately. Mm. And the rest, I just kind of let wash over me. And like, whenever it shows up in the feed, I'll, I'll check it out. And so your goal as an artist is to be that person that people are actually like, well, you know, Will hasn't posted lately. I got to, or, you know, did Will post today? I got to see what he's posting. So, so you, you want that, but for the most people, for the the large majority, you could post 500 times, shout from the top of your lungs that you have a Kickstarter and there's still going to be those people that show up the day after it ends and be like, I missed it. I just barely heard about it. You know, (laughs) is there still a chance to get this book? How can I do it? Mm -hmm. Right. So I, you know, the, the answer is kind of unclear there. Like it could be, uh, it could be that you just post as much as you want, and it doesn't matter because people are going to see it or going to see it. I do think though that you you have to have your ducks in the row, and like if you wait too long to post something before you launch it, it could, you know, spoil. Right? It could be. It's just not fresh anymore by the time that Kickstarter launches and and you sort of ruin that attention. So I guess my answer there is like be tactical and have a lead up to it and post for, you know, know why you're going into post. Like this is to capture attention and to drive people to this thing and and then launch your thing. And uh, and that's one way to do it. Cool. All right. Did we answer Mark's thing? Can can a fully finished book you've made as a passive project still be a part of the portfolio? Yeah. Is that did we that's a, well you can, but I, I, I was speaking to more like when do you post it? I guess I read mm-hmm. I asked another question. But yeah. sure. Yeah, like um yeah, absolutely. Why like it? Yeah, I, yeah. But, I mean, like you won't see any portfolio. artwork. You just won't see any artwork from my book on my portfolio until it's published. Right. Okay. Cool. Uh, okay, Jessica has a couple questions. How tight or polished should the line drawings or finished spreads be on a on book dummies submitted to agents? I've seen varying opinions, and would love to see dummy examples if you have any to share. So we share a bunch of that stuff in Children's Book Pro for those of you guys who haven't had it. We go over all that mm-hmm. stuff, fine tooth comb. All My just stuff. general answer to that is in a dummy, I should be able to tell that I'm looking at a truck, but not a Ford F-150. That's, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. The difference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. 
sort of stand in so, places. It needs to be readable by somebody who doesn't, you know, look at art a ton, mm-hmm. but it does not have to be polished. And it's, mm-hmm. it's hard, you know, the, these are vague answers, but sometimes vague is the best. You, you don't want the art director to see enough time, i.e., um, you know, really nice value hatchings and at, you know, a lot of, um, polish to your sketches because it just looks like it looks amateur in that you're you're so hungry you're you're going to polish your way to victory but it doesn't work because the art director knows the editor knows that they've got to make changes to that that book dummy it needs it needs to look tight enough that it's exciting that it it sparks imagination and it also convinces that you have the chops and that you have the ability a- anatomically in some instances. I mean, like, but not to the point where it's polished. I don't know how else to say it, you know. It's a weird middle ground. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Polish it and they're, you're going to scare them off. Don't polish it enough and you're going to scare them off. <laughs> <laughs> Make it just right. about right. I mean, think of uh, um, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It's got to be right in the middle. Not too hot, not too cold. Yeah. Right Speaking of Goldilocks, did you guys, have you heard of the new Puss in Boots movie? Is that, is yeah, that I heard it's, I heard it's really good. I heard it's really good. It is a banger. It is a dang good movie. Way hmm. better than it had to be. Really? Like, yeah. That's what I just read. That's what I read. All it had to be, it, well, you know, to be a cash grab, all I had to do is put puss boots on the screen for two hours, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> and right. Uh, and everybody who's going to see that movie was going to see it, and they would have made their money and be done with it. But they didn't do that. They made a really good movie that explores, like, explores your mort like mortality and how do you deal with the end of your life and accepting it, right? And and uh, I was just wow. floored by it. Yeah, I took. All right, the so kids. it's worth the worth the purchase because you can buy it right now. I think on Amazon, but you can't watch it. You can't stream it yet for like the. It's okay. not the not the five dollar rental price. It's like the the mm-hmm. the twenty dollar rental price right now. So I was like, I'd ah, say I it's worth it. We went and saw it in the theater, and that was that was fun. That was, was five hundred dollars now to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we actually got free movie passes from I think the dentist or somebody. I don't know. What? You know how sometimes. They'll do giveaways and whatnot. So my kids were like, we got these free movies. Let's go to the movies. Let's see Puss in Boots. <laughs> when I was um, a poor but, college student in LA, we used to go to timeshare sales pitches. Yeah. And a lot of times they give you the free movies. So that's one oh, way for nice. you guys. <laughs> anyway, there's a character in that movie, the, the Big Bad Wolf, that is legendary. Like people are going to be doing fan art of that character forever. I, oh, I nice. Don't it right give now. it, don't spoil it. That's all I'm saying. He's in the trailer. I'm not spoiling it. That isn't in the trailer. Okay. Uh, okay. And then they have a, uh, another question about Glaze. Have you guys heard of Glaze? Um, I haven't heard of Glaze. She says, is it useful? Is it an overreaction to AI? I had not heard about it until this question. So what Glaze is, is you run it through, it's a, it's a program that like, protects your images the illustration you create from being useful to the ai um 
machines, right? So the AI machines, the the, the art generators. So what <laughs> happens bots. is when they're going, when they're scraping the internet for images to use, uh, um, they're pulling all these images and then they're like essentially parsing out all the data from those images. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's, it's figure out this is a banana, this is yellow, this background is a jungle, you know, it's in focus, it's out of focus, whatever. Um, what Glaze does is it puts an imperceptible like veneer of data over the top of your image so that when the AI is parsing it out, it can't make heads or tails of everything. And so they actually have, I'll show you, I'm going to pull it up on, on here. Like a lens over it. So what does the AI see? Yeah. So you check this out. So um, here's original pieces by Carla Ortiz. And these are images uh, made by AI pulled from those images. But then when she uses the cloaked protection on it and they try to do it in her style, it does this to them. It, it like turns them into some, you know, her style is very clean. It's almost like a sergeant style. Mm-hmm. And it turns these into like a, a messy um, Jackson Pollock of a, of a portrait, you know? Mm. So it's amazing. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, but how, how does it do that? I don't know. I mean, in the, a nutshell, did you? We're artistly, like you don't, that's a dangerous question to ask. <laughs> I'm going to need to Glaze see the code. Is, yeah. Blaze is not available for download yet, but the creators are planning to release it on Mac OS and Windows for free in the coming weeks. So I guess every time you post an image online, you run it through Glaze and then. You know, if they pull your images off of ArtStation or Instagram or whatever, it's it's gonna mess up. I think so it's funny. I, I think this it's is great. this is me. My this is my <laughs> pessimism. Right? My here's my pessimism. If we can see the image, right, uh, mm-hmm. with unaffected, then the the creators of Midjourney and all the other AI programs are gonna figure out a way for the computer to be able to see what we're seeing. Yeah, they'll take a screen grab of I don't, it that I doesn't just, affect it. I mean, I think they're, that. they might make it, they might slow it down for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't they'll, believe that it'll... It'll have a filter. They'll have a deglazing filter yes. that they'll run all their images through. If we can see it and the AI can see with through cameras, maybe they just have an AI look at the internet, look at images through a camera at a screen. I love yeah, ideas instead like that, of looking it's, it's at the great, zeros and ones. Yeah, I mean it's gonna be it's gonna be a cat and mouse thing, right? But then then once the mid journey and AI figures it out, then they'll upgrade the glaze, and then they'll have to upgrade the. I'm probably wrong because I don't know what I'm talking about. No, but I don't right. think I don't think you're wrong. Well, we'll can't I can't even I, figure out how to put a pop up on his I can't. website. So <laughs> I I watched this video. <laughs> I watched a really scary video last night with Lily about AI, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm telling you, like even the creators of like Chat GPT and stuff, there's, there's. Was it directed by Steven Spielberg with no. Haley Joel they're, Osment? They're scared. The-, <laughs> the, the Elon Musk. I mean, all the guys who are you know, guys and gals who are at the forefront of this, will, in this video, were quoted as saying like, um, "Is there a chance that it could get away from us and do basically like Terminator stuff?" Yeah, and that's scary. That's a scary reality. And and like. Is it possible? Yeah. So we got to be really careful about that. But what's what's leading AI right now is profit, right? Is companies and profit. Uh-huh. And we're not really asking the, we're not really uh, 
asking the right questions on on security for humans. And so, yeah, it's anyway. Did you you saw my uh, twenty thousand viewed uh, AI video that I put out a couple weeks ago? Twenty thousand. I saw 000? that you put it out there. I'm sure you wow. sat down and watched the whole thing start to I finish, didn't you? Did not because I'm busy, but go, but. <laughs> It was really cool to watch its trajectory because it was it was trending a little bit higher than my previous videos, mm-hmm. and then something happened at about six thousand or eight thousand views, and that trajectory spiked and it oh. started going way way higher. So maybe it, it reached some sort of somebody, you know, some sort of threshold where it was getting shared more. The algorithm mm. was like, "Oh, people do like this video. Let's share it even more." Mm. But my whole thing was, you know. It, it was like this balanced, nuanced. This is a, a world of hot takes, right? And if you've got like a, uh, a a Goldilocks zone take, you know, where it's not too hot, not too cold, mm-hmm. um, people do appreciate that. And, but it does spark some, you know, it, it, it fires up the people who are hot, and hopefully, it, it inspires the people who are cold, and it does really well with the people who are like, ah, just, you know, let's have a, a reason take here. And my whole thing is learn how to use the tools because they're not going anywhere. Like right. figure out how you can work it into your workflow because you're, you're not going to lose a job to AI, but you are going to lose a job to someone who uses AI. Right. Yeah. Okay. I think so the, there's that. Oh, I'm sorry. Then the, the other side um, is support and promote and vote for legislation that can regulate this so it's not off the rails like so that we can like maybe have consent an opt-in and opt-out for images and mm. you know there are laws that saying you know that was put in place that it can't be misused you know i can't put lee's face and voice on an ad advertising you know um something that he he doesn't condone or, or support or something like that. You've seen, do you see that Joe Rogan ad that someone made where it's all AI, but it's him completely just going off talking about this product? Mm-mm. No way, really? Yeah. Deep it fake. Looks like yeah. It's a deep fake of him talking about some supplement or something. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, people are going to this website. People love this thing. I, I love this thing. You guys should try it out. And, uh, <laughs> and they, and it's getting all these views and it's not him at all. So there's, there needs to be something in the place that you absolutely get slapped hard on the face yeah. for, for doing something like that. Let me just go down this road. And I know that it's not going to make some people happy, but just bear with me for a second. So Walmart oh, has... I'm going with you. Would you say that Walmart has a positive image or a negative image overall in, in you know online? Um, both. I, I, yeah, I, would, I don't know. I would. I, maybe I would negative? say on social media, it's mostly oh, negative. Negative, negative yeah. for oh, yeah, the yeah. people, yeah. but the place people like cheap. Well, the same. And my my contention is the same people who dump on Walmart are probably visiting Walmart at least once a month. <laughs> you know, and and the, my point is, uh, Wal- I think Walmart has like horrible reviews and you know just and yet lighting yeah and 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 yet um they're the most successful retailer um brick and mortar retailer right so 
the fact that people fight against it and that it is thriving is important mm-hmm. in this discussion of AI because, mm-hmm. you know, I I had the experience of of going through the stock illustration illustration illustrator movement um, with the IPA of trying to mm-hmm. do exactly what's been going on going on with uh, the mid journey discussions, which is really quick history lesson uh, back in the um, early 2000s illustrators realized that we were selling our our illustrations to stock companies that were se- reselling our our illustrations to companies and giving us a small percentage of those sales right mm-hmm. and we realized we were cannibalizing our uh, freelance work mm-hmm. by participating so guess what there was this huge movement to illustrators like there is now with ai mm-hmm. of don't stop doing this. Stop giving the stockhouses your illustrations. Start, um, uh, you know, bringing awareness and saying, let's let's take back our our hire uh, real artists. Yeah, hire real <laughs> artists to do. Yeah, there was a whole movement on this, right? And guess what happened? Mm-hmm. The stock illustration houses thrived. Those of us, myself included, who stopped participating, lost out on tons of money. The editorial market, which they were mostly selling into imploded mm-hmm. right so so what we said as illustrators came true right we destroyed a market yeah. of editorial magazines okay but those people those illustrators who stayed in it and kept putting their illustrations in mm-hmm. i know i know two personally who made hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars doing mm-hmm. it one guy was making three hundred thousand dollars a year wow. as an illustrator in those stock catalogs mm-hmm. he was one of my teachers um, at university and, you know, and I asked him, you know, you know, the movement that's going on, how come you're going headlong into it? And he's like, well, I don't fault you for hating me for doing it, but I'm, I'm trying to build my retirement. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. trying to, the reality is I'm making tons of money and and you're asking me to just turn that off overnight. And I, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're right or wrong, but I can't, I can't do that. And where he is today, mm-hmm. he has a really nice retirement, a house fully paid off. He's sent his mm-hmm. kids to, to college. He has a very comfortable life. Mm-hmm. How? Who am I to tell him he was wrong? Mm-hmm. But yet he killed the market. He helped kill the market. I helped try to save it, and it happened anyway. And my theory is with this mid-journey stuff, with this AI stuff, is you could spend your time being an activist because there are, there were five prominent illustrators, veteran illustrators, who dedicated their life to forming the IPA, Illustrators Partnership Association. And they stopped being illustrators, right? Mm. And they they went headlong into being activists. Mm-hmm. And they lost, mm-hmm. you know? And he thrived. Mm-hmm. So am I, am I advocating going headlong into mid-journey and, and making art? What would you say you did? I, I, I joined the IPA. I gave them uh-huh. my dues and I pulled my art out of the stock illustration catalogs and I lost a yeah. ton of money. Uh-huh. I didn't, I didn't become an activist. I didn't spend my time. I, I mm-hmm. spent my time trying to market my work in other markets. So yeah, I mm-hmm. would have made, I was making $20,000 a year in the stock catalogs and I could have, if I was doing what they were doing, which was creating images for stock, which yeah. I had tons of extra time. I could have done that. And I started, I was actually starting to do that right when this thing happened. Mm-hmm. So I have like 
probably 15 images that I never put in the catalogs that have never been used for anything. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's too late now because they're out of style. Yeah, they're totally out of style. And, (laughs) but I would have made, you know, like they did, I would have made over a hundred of these images Mm -hmm. and I would have made maybe 40, 50, 60, 70,000 a year or something. And nowadays you look at this and, and that's legitimate advice to give to somebody like, Hey, why don't you make a thousand, uh, what do we call it? Um, Memphis Gothic uh, or uh, <laughs> oh, style no. illustrations, corporate Memphis yeah. illustrations, corporate Memphis and put them up, up on uh, Getty Images or whatever. And, and using Mid Journey, <laughs> you could probably. I mean, so Getty's so the, doing Mid Journey, Mid Journey right now, though. Yeah. Uh, so the, I, my only, I guess my my real advice to this whole thing is don't like if you believe in protecting images and using a, a program like Glaze or if you believe mm-hmm. in signing things and, and helping to, to put control stuff, that's great. Just don't let it consume your time and your life because my theory is you're not going to make a difference. I don't believe that you will make a difference. But don't not do something that you believe in just because I say, you know. Yeah, because if you believe I would, in something, I would sign that stuff matter. too. Yeah, yeah, I would. I would sign all that stuff. I'm for. I'm. 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 Right. I'm, I'm I'll sign protection. it, and then I'll use Mid Journey that same day. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll play both. Play both sides of the fence. I'm not kidding. I mean, seriously. this isn't a, a a one for one though with stock illustration because essentially it's not. It's, essentially, what's happening here is is imagine if there was a stock illustration website that you could. It's type in anything that you wanted, anything absolutely you wanted, and it would go steal your artwork from your portfolio, piece it together with someone else's, and make that image for you. That's what right. Mid Journey essentially right. is. Uh, and and there's there, you know th- that shouldn't be legal. Essentially, mm-hmm. Sh- you shouldn't be able to steal someone's artwork and use it and make money off of that. And so let's figure out how to make it ethical and then let's just move on. And and your job as an artist is to just make connections with people with your work, however you make your work. Your job is to make connections with people, elicit some sort of emotional response and, um, and you know, tell a story, sh- shape people's opinions somehow using, using your art. So... <sighs> Last question. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Can I can, can I go? Can I give a little banter here for a second? That was a yeah, long absolutely. one. I'm gonna. Um, you guys don't have to deal with this that much, and but me and probably some of our audience do, and that's paparazzi. <laughs> and I want. <laughs> They're the worst. They're absolutely the worst. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to share just because the glazing thing, which was the origin of that super long-winded answer that we gave. Um, yeah. The glazing technology just reminded me of this thing I saw this past week. I'm sharing my screen right now. This is a cloak that you can wear if you're a celebrity. There, I'm showing a picture of Trevor Noah, and when a when the paparazzi or photographer comes in and takes a picture. Mm-hmm. It, whatever little quality that it has within the fabric causes the person to go completely into silhouette and it just lights up the clothing that you're wearing. That's this super cl- this cool clothing. <laughs> Have you seen this before? I it's crazy. I don't know what I'm really looking at. So this is Trevor Noah right here. This picture, yeah. right? 
when a photographer takes a picture, this is what comes out on the camera. Oh, interesting. So it disappears the person basically taking a picture. You're completely invisible. And so for me, when I go out, I mean, there are paparazzi outside my house, always mm-hmm. following me around. I put on this scarf like Trevor Helicopters. Noah. Yeah. Nobody There's... can take a picture of me on vacation in, in the south of France. Um, That's really anyway, it's just really works. interesting. It's gotten like nano... And nano yeah, biscuits is what I'm going to say. You know, it's, so when you, I mean, mm. it, it's probably only works for flashes. Flash, that's what I was thinking. Cause it's, yeah, night. yeah, of course. It's not going to work yeah. during the day. Yeah. You can't go out during the day. Yeah. Not during the day. I've already learned that as a celebrity, I can't go out in the day, but um, you know, my nighttime activities. Anyway, yeah. I thought it was a cool little thing. And that's kind of what the glazing is doing for AI in a weird way. Interesting. Uh, all right, last question from Brian. Um, we did get a question about doing just looking through a children's book and giving feedback, and that that felt like a little much for for one episode. Mm-hmm. So we might come back and do that later. Didn't want to let that go unnoticed. But Brian asks, any drawing exercise exercises or warm ups you guys swear by? Do you guys do warm ups when you sit down before you draw? Is there something you do I, first or do you just get right down I to it? I do. I, I do calligraphy. No. Really? Tell me more. I do. There's, there's like basically like a figure eight shape where you mm-hmm. lighten your, your stroke on the upstroke and you press down on the downstroke. And it creates this really beautiful kind of flowing calligraphy. Basically. Yeah. I mean, I'm not writing letters and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just a flow. Basically, it's just a a, a pressure, pressure sensitivity exercise. And it just gets the pencil moving. And I do that just for like a minute. And I may go from small to big and big to small. And then I do them horizontal, you know, top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, just the act of moving the pencil gets you drawing. Mm-hmm. But it's weird to sit down, especially if you don't already have something down, like I'm doing with this dummy where there's like a blank page there mm-hmm. to start mm-hmm. drawing just from scratch. And so I find that just moving the pencil a little bit, scribbling around a little bit gets me into the drawing. I've been talking one minute tops on this, but it helps. Interesting. Okay. What about you, Will? Do you? I do um, bean wireframe drawings, which is weird, but it helps okay. me. F- I, I think I'm volumetrically challenged if I just sit down and start drawing. Mm-hmm. So that's why I do that. And I don't do it, do much, but I will draw some bean shapes, you know, like bean bags or, or like pillow sacks, you know, with, yeah. the, with the fold, with the crease, the pinch and mm-hmm. try to do like the wireframe to get the volume and everything. And then I, when I start drawing characters and stuff, it just seems like everything is, it like it like wakes up my brain for the volume awareness. In sports, they call that kind of greasing the wheel or yeah, greasing, greasing the track. That's cool. I should. Pro- I don't do any warm ups. Usually, my first drawing is a warm up, and I'm like, oh, that one didn't turn out great. <laughs> <laughs> That's not very good. You know, I do that too, and then I forget, like, and then I'll go into doing the bean thing or something. You know, and that helps. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm like, wait a minute, I've forgotten how to draw. I mean, past warm-ups <laughs> kind of stuff has been like you fill a, a sheet full of circles. You know, you do a bunch of big circles and then all the spaces in between the circles, you do smaller circles. And in between mm-hmm. those circles, you do smaller circles. That usually, you know, gets you all gets y'all going. But it's not like 
for me, drawing isn't like um, it's not strenuous activity for me. Like it, I, I don't need to warm up to it really. But maybe I should. Um, you know, after talking to you guys, that looks beautifully. You do do calligraphy. <laughs> it's just those kind of shapes, but they're so fun to draw. And sometimes I'll try to like go real light in the middle and just wait just the corners. Mm. If you want to see what Lee's so doing, can... we're on YouTube on the School of Visual Storytelling. But it's interesting yeah. to, to you know to, to to change the weight and like maybe add the weight into the center of the, of the stroke and take it out of the corners, which is a natural place to put weight, and mm -hmm. uh, just get you get you right into the into the zone, bro. <laughs> the bro zone. <laughs> bro zone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take take us out. Do we have anything else we want to add to this uh, this episode? I just want to point out how many times I was right. Okay, take us out. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. I just want to, if you are still listening to this episode and you're on YouTube, leave a comment, put a submarine, because you're in our, you're in the deep end of this, this episode. <laughs> We're chatty today. Very Do chatty. Do a submarine emoji. I actually stole that from another podcast. When they, when they get to the end, you know, the, the last 15 mm -hmm. minutes, they're like, everybody stop right now. Put a, a snorkel emoji on the uh, comment section because we're now in the deep end. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Uh, everybody, thank you for joining us. Three Point Perspective is made possible by svslearn.com where becoming a great illustrator starts. These questions were provided to us today by our patrons. So a special thanks to them for supporting the show that way. Uh, you guys make this, this show possible. Uh, your hosts are Will Terry, Lee White, Jake Parker. You know where to find us. Podcast produced by Daniel Tu. That's danieltu.co. It's his website. Special thanks to Keeper of the Curriculum, Austin Shirtliff, Show Notes Wrangler, Lily Howell, Chief Operations Officer, Lisa Fott. Lastly, go draw something. All right, so uh, question, ethical question for you guys. Um, a couple of my friends back in, I went to high school in Tennessee. My brother and a couple of friends are getting together for lunch yesterday. And I keep in touch with a, with a couple of people that were in our crew that they don't keep in touch with anymore. So we had you know, a group of like seven people, say, that ran together in high school. This is like three or four of them getting together for lunch. They were asking me what happened to, the, to this other guy that was in our little group. And just, just off the cuff, I was like, oh, he's in jail. And, uh, and they're like, what? Yeah. I was just, I mean, just, I had no planning or anything. I just said it off the, off the cuff. I was like, he's in prison. And they're like, really? And I was like, oh my God, they believe this. And I was like, yeah, really? He went to jail for cyber crime. Um, cyber around, crime. around, around the, <laughs> that January. sounds so made up. Like you had to just oh, come yeah. up with that. <laughs> Federal level one is what I said, just to give it a, a, a description, but, uh, that, that he went to, to, to jail for, for the, for the January 6th riots that he was somehow planning. <laughs> I was just running, I was just making it up as we went. And then there, and then, uh, one of the guys was like, no, he didn't. And so then I was just like, well, they're almost all in They're 85% in. And so I got an inmate record from Florida. That's where this guy's from. And I just, I 
downloaded it. I changed the name, changed the the date so it matched generally when we went, you know, hit our age group and stuff. And uh, and I was like, look, here's his arrest record. And they were hook, line, and sinker on that. It's like, oh my god, I can't believe it. <laughs> and like for the next hour, we just these texts coming through, going around our circle, like, oh man, that's going to be on his record forever. They were just lamenting it, and, and oh man, it was so. I was just rolling. And then at the at the end, I finally told them, you know, after an hour or two sent him a text saying, Hey, that's not real. I was just kidding. I made it up. And I even sent it to the guy who I said was in jail and I, and he was laughing. So everybody laughed about it except for one guy. He's like, dude, that's like totally uncool. That's like the meanest thing you could do. Uh, that's like saying like, Oh, somebody's got cancer as a joke. And then saying, Oh, they don't really ha ha. And I was like, no, that is not the same thing. <laughs> so my question to you guys, is that over the line or is that not, is that okay? I mean, there's a group of friends that know each other well and joke around a lot. So this is not strangers or something. For me, because I'm a jokester, it wouldn't be over the line with most of the friends that I have. But there's a yeah. few friends that I have, like Jake, you know, who would probably get really <laughs> bent. <laughs> you think Jake could? You think Jake would be a Karen about it? <laughs> so that's what I've been calling. My brother was the one who says that was over the line. So I've been calling him a Karen all day. It's just so fun. <laughs> uh, no, I think you're. I think you're well within the the. The, I mean, if it went on for a week, oh no, that'd yeah, be yeah, like that dumb. Would, like, well, like the, then lunch, it would spread for you a know? lunch break. That's fine. He just that's didn't fine. like that he got had. Yeah, for a that's while. He gets mad at everything though. But you, you, you know, there are people who are really good natured and can appreciate that. Like, I don't know. I think it's an advanced sense of humor to be able to appreciate that kind of thing but some people don't we're all different I was so satisfied i mean by by adding the extra documentation just gave me this like smug satisfaction oh it's yeah. just the long game the long con is what i like mm-hmm. in a practical joke did you ever see that um did you ever see that there's some sort of saturday night live skit but i don't think it was saturday night live i think it was something else and uh it's this guy caught speeding and he's like, he's like, why, why are you speeding? Or do you realize you're speeding? He's like, I'm so sorry. I'm rushing to the hospital to, cause my wife's pregnant. And he's like, Oh really? Okay. I'll follow you to the hospital. <laughs> so the guy goes to the hospital and he wanders into like the, you know, the baby, uh, what is it? The, the, what's the floor that the babies are born at? The, the maternity. baby floor. Prenatal. The, the, yeah, whatever. <laughs> And there's a woman rolling out with a baby and he's like, just play along. <laughs> he's like, oh, it's no my, it's my way. baby. And so then the cop's just like, all right. And so then he follows the guy home with the woman. And then the, the thing plays out over a series of like little vignettes where the cop's just always there in this guy's life with the, while he's raising this kid. <laughs> and while you know, the kid's first birthday, the kid finally like goes off to college. You know, he's old and gray. The cop's old and gray. <laughs> and uh, that and he's, like, he's like, you know, you know, they shake hands and they hug or whatever. And then he, finally he's like, you know, I, I think the end, the punchline is something like, the cop still gives him a ticket because you realize it's a, all been a, it's all been a hoax. Like, <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's I awesome. just, yeah, that one was dumb. I'm gonna find that and send you the the link to it. Anyway, I just did uh, you send over that arrest record? 
I did. <laughs> <laughs> you can see it. That's pretty funny. That is pretty funny. Well, ahead. illustrators that that uh, or graphic designers that have Photoshop skills, I mean, we can do high level pranks when it comes to like documents and. Mm-hmm. You don't want to mess with to. us. <laughs> well, have you ever looked at like every, when you're doing like job searches? Every once in a while, I'm just for fun. I check CIA job listings, and more often than not, they're always looking for a graphic designer. And, mm-hmm. you know, essentially they just need someone to forge documents who's really good at um, Photoshop or whatever mm-hmm. to like f- fix pictures, put someone in a picture, take someone out of a picture. <laughs> I don't know. I think that would be a fun job just to, <laughs> just to like show up. What are we, what are we forging today? We need a fake shell corporation to hide, you know, our activities here. So can you design a logo for some steel company that we're embedding <laughs> in Venezuela so we can take down that, that government? <laughs> you know who they really need to employ that they don't. That surprised me because I watch these crime shows. And when a husband or wife um, pays someone to kill their spouse, right, mm-hmm. which happens a lot, seems to happen yeah. more than they think. when when someone tips off the police that hey, this person's trying to hire me to kill their husband or whatever, mm-hmm. they they often will take the husband and and fake you know like have him laying on the ground and put like fake blood on him and stuff and like oh nice and then go to the wife and, and they'll have the guy go to the wife and like okay so it's done and try to get her to a- admit on Pay up. on video that mm-hmm. she was part of the the planning right mm-hmm. but the pictures always look horrible they they, they don't better. look convincing yeah i, I right. always look at them like and they fool but they're good enough they fool the the spouse person but we need somebody who really understands highlighting like the blood on the floor right. doesn't have the right highlight so this is a job this is we're working our way back to the actual content well and is, and make secondary up. jobs where you can make a living while you're trying to be a children's book <laughs> illustrator <laughs> 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 doctoring crime scenes for police to bust spouses yeah. trying to kill their <laughs> loved ones <laughs> how do so we get on it, this i mean in this day and age though forging with, with so many of these, like how many of these crime shows or podcasts or whatever, did the people actually get away with it? Like it's, 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 it's so enough. nuanced now that I don't think you can get away with crimes anymore. I mean, I just read a thing this morning and somebody getting busted for a 50 year old cigarette butt, Dang. 50 years old. That was the crime. And you'd they be surprised the though. Unbelievable. There's, 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 I've narrowed it down because I watch a lot of these. There's, there's four types of, of criminals right there's the smart ones and the dumb ones so that's two groups yeah. but in those two groups there's both the lucky and unlucky oh so, so you can smart and lucky yeah or dumb and lucky yeah or and smart and, and lucky both or dumb both and the smart and lucky and dumb and lucky get away with it the the smart unlucky like there's there's guys who who figure out every little thing because they're well up on all the mm-hmm. the ways to hide a murder right like so they yeah. they cover all their bases but there's yeah. no way you can't leave something, mm-hmm. and the and they just get so unlucky on. Luckily, they get so unlucky on right. one little thing. Well, that, if you watch enough of them, you can create your sort of list of like, if I was going to create some kind of crime, how you know they don't even go. A lot of people don't go through the basic steps of doing a little bit of research before they're going to do these crimes. And so, you know, what me and my wife were watching one of those forensic files, I think it was, and we watched mm-hmm. enough of them where I was like, "Oh my god, okay, here's my ingredients for getting away with these crimes." <laughs> Number one, go 
to like Fantastic Sam's or one of these like haircutting places and just grab a couple of different hairs from other people like that are on the ground, you know, when they're cutting <laughs> yeah. hair. That's step one. Sprinkle those around the crime scene. Step two, a big pair of shoes, like two sizes bigger than you wear. Just bring them and stomp around like <laughs> in those shoes. <laughs> if the shoes don't fit. However, the research is what gets a lot of them in trouble because of all the searches that they do on Google and um, oh, you can't they, do it on your own it. computer. And why would you keep your you own computer? You can't do it anywhere because there's a, there's a, tra- I'm telling you, there's a, there's always a, there's always a, uh, a trail, right? A trail. Yeah, but yeah. only if you keep the computer though, that's the problem is they're like, okay, here's the computer. Oh crap. I wiped it, but not good enough. Like, why did you keep the computer? There should be a dedicated crime like computer. A, a burner computer. <laughs> yeah. A burner. <laughs> a burner yeah, you can't keep, They've you can't found keep those. the computer. I've seen it where they found an iPad in a dumpster and got into it and found this. How do they find it? That's the crazy thing. There was one that I watched where this guy, this detective is like, okay, so between the crime scene and his house, what kind of routes could he have taken Mm -hmm. to get and where, and all, and I'll check all the dumpsters for the murder weapon. Right. And, but you'd think that he went from A to B and he's like, if this guy was smart, he would zigzag way up here and dump it up here and then come down. So he checked even laterally and found oh, that wow. freaking murder weapon. Now, I would say that that's one of the smart criminals that got unlucky because there's so many times where they right. don't find it because they they the, the detectives are like, well, let's just check in on the route in between his house and the, mm-hmm. and, right. and they don't find it. This guy went out of the way. So... Yeah, he's doing his job. (laughs) Yeah, crazy. It's crazy. Uh, Did you see that Key and Peele sketch about uh, the heist that they they do on a bank? (laughs) No, No. I've been watching some of those lately, though. They're funny. Yeah, it was a short one, but he's like, okay, so here's here's what we're going to do. It's going to be an inside job. We both get jobs as uh, tellers, bank tellers. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. Okay, so we show up. Every day on time, we do our job. Okay, I got it. Now, once a month, they deposit a paycheck into our bank account. Yeah, yeah, okay. So they're putting money into our own personal account. Right, right. Okay, so we do this for 30 years. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And then we retire, and then they just pay us this, uh, you know, our retirement fund into it. And we, we were done. We, you know, we, we, totally, we totally hit up this bank. <laughs> He's like... Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's good. <clears throat> All right. Should we do our well, uh, Lee was going to tell us about this this uh book dummy. Let's do the let's start a podcast and then let's do Okay. Let's hear about this book dummy. Okay. Sound good? You call him dummy. Sounds pretty good. All right.